When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Whether you're watching or listening live or archived, we are so glad you could join us today as we record on Wednesday, September 11th, and get you set for Virginia Tech's home game this Saturday against the Furman Paladins. Our crew today, we've got Malcolm, yes, he's related, Stuart, behind the scenes producing today's podcast. On the podcast set, across the way, our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart, managing editor, Chris Coleman, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Gentlemen, how are we doing this week? Doing well. Good. How are you? Good, good. Will, I know you've, uh, we, we have a movie review to begin the <laughs> podcast today, so I'm going to turn it over to you. So last night I went to see It, Chapter 2, and it, um, it, the reviews haven't been as good as Chapter 1. Um, and it is a very long movie. It's two hours and 50 minutes long. 50? 50. Almost three hours. But I can report that it didn't seem that long. I, I, you know, I was a little worried going. I was like, oh, man. You know, I'm in my mid-50s. I can fall asleep at movies if they're not good. But uh, um, I thought it was pretty good. To, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that clown is just creepy, man. <laughs> I mean, there's no getting around it. And, and I did something in the theater. I don't remember the last time I did this. There was one scene where I actually went and yelled out because I was so, so creeped out by what I was seeing. I'm, I'm creeped out by creepy looking things that come flying at the screen. Right? I would agree with that. So Is the, it the same clown from part one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Part one was great. Have you seen it, Chris? I've not seen the second one. I've seen part one. Yeah. Yeah. I need to go see part two. So I thought it was pretty good. It's funny. The re the reviews are like, ah, it's, it's, you know, some reviews are ripping it. And I'm like, man, get a life. It's, it, it was three hours of good entertainment. So I again, thought. so they split it into, so part one is when they are all kids. Yes. But one of the things they do in this movie is they do a lot of, uh, a lot of flashbacks. So they're, the kids are still there a lot. And I couldn't tell if this, these were scenes they had recorded when they did the first movie right. or if they had the same actors come in and do this one as well. They looked about the same age, so I, I think they may have recorded all this stuff that they did Excellent. when they did the first movie. But I don't know. I haven't read up on it. But uh, anyway, I, I, you know. So uh, give us your uh, Rotten Tomatoes, Will Stewart edition uh, review. I would give it. You know, I'd give it somewhere between an 80 and an 85. I mean, you know, I, I like being scared when I go to horror movies, and I got I got creeped out. You know, uh, the I would say the first half to two-thirds of it is where a lot of creepy stuff occurs. In the last third, let's call it a third, the last hour, uh, it's kind of nasty and, and gross, but it's not creepy, if that makes sense. Okay. You know, there, there, there's, there's horror that's creepy. Like if you've ever seen the Conjuring movies, I, I don't remember which one this was, but there's a scene where there is a painting of the nun on the wall and hands come out from behind it and reach out and and then the painting comes off the wall and comes across the room at the camera. And man, I'm getting goosebumps. Just that was creepy. That was a really long, creepy scene. And and so, you know, the 
the jump scares and stuff like that, not so much. So I like the creepiness. See, part one, it was a little bit of, of scary, but it was also very funny. It wasn't your typical horror movie. Yeah, I, I wasn't scared by it. Yeah. No, no. So. Now, there, there, is a, there is a lot of humor in this one, too. And I believe, uh, I'll close it with it, Bill Hader is in it, correct? Yes. Formerly of Saturday Night he Live. Very, he was he, very good. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a funny guy. And oh. James McAvoy was in it. He was good. And uh, I think there's like uh, Jessica Chastain was in it. Um, I don't know what she's been in. I just recognize her name. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there, it's, it's not a cast of unknowns. There are some good actors and actresses in there. There you go. Will Stewart uh, promoting It Too. And uh, it's just out in theaters. Two thumbs up. Not fine family fair, but still I recommend it. <laughs> Well, we've got a lot to discuss today, more than just a a movie review. We've got a podcast to do and to look forward to Virginia Tech and Furman this weekend. We'll be talking Hokies. We'll be talking about the Paladins. I'm sure Chris has done his research and knows all about how tricky this Furman offense can be at the FCS level. We'll talk about that in just a little bit on the Tech Sideline podcast, which is brought to you each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm. Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031 or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Hokies are coming off of their first win of the season, 31-17 winners against Old Dominion. If you missed our podcast Monday, go onto our SoundCloud page or however you're listening or watching, and you can listen to our recap of Tech's win over the Monarchs. Chris, I'll start with you on this. You've had a couple of days to, to preview this game. What's the one thing you're looking for Virginia Tech to do this weekend against Furman? Uh, run the ball better. Uh, I would say running game both sides of the ball. Uh, be better against the run and run the ball better offensively. Uh, you know, I, I think they need some continuity on the offensive line. They haven't had continuity. The continuity. Continuity. Is, <laughs> continuity. Is that what I said? You said continuity. Continuity. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, you know, they need some st- stability, I'll say, on the <laughs> offensive line. That's an easier word. S-T-A-Y-ability. Um, you know, we, we can't stay in the lineup. We came into the season knowing that this, this was going to be a very young offensive line that – Redshirt junior, probably uh, Zach Coit was probably going to start at center if it wasn't going to be junior Brock Hoffman. But other than that, from left to right, you were going to go true sophomore, redshirt sophomore, not sure, maybe redshirt junior, and then redshirt sophomore. Instead, we've gotten what we expected on the left side of the line of scrimmage. But at center, after uh, this past week, it was redshirt freshman in the first half and then true freshman in the second half. At right guard, it was true freshman the entire time. And then at right tackle, it started off as redshirt sophomore and then went to redshirt freshman in the second half. So the O-line is pulling a Benjamin Button and getting younger as we watch. Yeah, exactly. And it was already extremely young to begin with. Uh, and, and you're seeing these guys line, line up in different spots and maybe they were used to playing. Like, I don't know how much time – Hudson got. Yeah, Brian Hudson's in there center. at center. I, I know he started off at right tackle at the beginning of practice wow. in, in August, and now he's at center. I mean, think about it. Just, he's, just he, the fact that the dude can snap the ball is pretty impressive. He's, he's the fourth string center. Yeah. And he's, I he's mean, shotgun it's, snapping. It's, it's, and... it's the second game of the season. How many teams have had to use their fourth string center? Yeah. Remember, remember that year when uh, Tech had to use, like, Steve DeMossi for one game. He was their number three center. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he, uh, he was and everybody was like, oh, my gosh, the third-string center. And what, he, what, he turned out to be pretty good. He turned out like. to do a pretty decent job. Uh, but fourth-string center, who's a true freshman, holy cow. Um, yeah. They've got to get some guys starting 
multiple games in a row next to each other on the offensive line because in these days of zone blocking it's all about teamwork and things like that i still think they should have done a better job probably but i also think the backs should have done a better job uh so it's not necessarily it sounds coach speak it's not one thing it's not one thing right. you know i mean sometimes they did have their blocks and that free hitter was there and the back didn't make them miss yeah i mean you know unless a defender misses his gap you, there is going to be an unblocked defender every typically. yeah yeah there's and you count yeah. on your running back to make that guy miss and that that's not happening enough right exactly so uh every a lot of things have to get better there um Furman is not a good defensive team they are undersized they're inexperienced in the secondary they don't have a lot of depth uh they start a 5'9 255 pound defense defensive tackle yep. nose guard it's going to be yeah, very man. interesting to watch one, one of their corners is a true freshman 5'9 170 gene chiswick's son the former auburn mm. head coach mm-hmm. coach cam Newton. Uh, yeah uh, Callie chiswick, I think Callie chiswick played 38 snaps last week for a secondary they got absolutely roasted by georgia state uh, so this is a week where, uh, you know, offensively Tech should have a pretty darn good game. Um, I, this is not as good a defense as Tech faced last week against Old Dominion, in, in my opinion. I, I, I think that ODU defense has gotten better with the defensive coordinator change. Yeah, time will tell. Yeah, time I will tell. But, the, about that, but they so. look better. Yeah. They just look better. Um, they, they look they just look like they have a better idea of what they're well, doing. Well, they defended the run a lot better than they oh, did last year. Yeah, they were year. awful last, last year. Last year, Tech roasted them yeah, with exactly. the run and had over 600 yards. Yeah. Well, ab- had about 600 yards. I about think. Yeah, it was right at 600, I think. Um, you know, defense is the concern because Furman does so many things offensively to make you think. They've got option plays, misdirections, blah, blah, blah. The types of plays that – <laughs> blah blah blah, etc. 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 Yeah, they got so the type of plays that generally young defenders don't do well against is the type of offense they run. So that's yeah, the concern this, go, this, going this, this week. Get, excuse me, this could get interesting. So, Will, you look at the the, the rushing numbers going back to that time. We'll get to firm in a minute. But talking about Virginia Tech the offense and the. Go back to the Boston College game. Tech outrushed 157 yards to 98. And then against Old Dominion, 202 rushing yards for the Monarchs, 131 for Tech. Yeah. Chris touched on the offensive line. When you look at not being able to run the football, which seems to be a point of emphasis for the coaching staff, why do you think it hasn't taken off in the first two weeks? <laughs> it's, it's always something, you know, and, and people used to rag on Frank Beamer and Brian Steinspring for saying this, like, like it's always one thing. You know, and, and when I watch game film, you know, if you want to go down the list, Ryan Willis often doesn't make the right read in the read option. Uh, running backs don't make the unblocked defender miss in the hole. Now, we, we did see a run in the, uh, in the Boston College game where Kashawn King did exactly that. He made a really nice cut in the hole and went forward and got about seven or eight yards out of nothing. So it can happen. It's just not happening very often. Uh, I've seen on film where a wide receiver will miss a block, either won't engage at all, or or the defender you know just gets off of his block. Tight ends, you know, it's just and and sometimes the defense just happens to call a blitz or a run blitz or something like that, and they wind up with you outnumbered. So man, it's it's everything, really. How much Chris with no Jalen Holston, the injury? How different would it have looked like? This past week against ODU. Uh, it would have helped. I mean, you don't like two 
180 pound running backs in there. You want to have one back with some size at least, which is why I think they'll eventually um, maybe might see more of Caleb Stewart at some yeah, point. He seems know. like he'd be the third guy at this point, or at least he was the third guy on Saturday against Old Dominion. Um, yeah, after McLeese fumbled, Stewart came in. I'm not sure you would have seen Stewart if McLeese hadn't fumbled. Yeah, I, I don't – honestly, I, I don't think uh, at this point in the season there's there's much you can do about the running back situation. You just you just hope those guys get better and hope they stay healthy, to be honest with you. I mean, McLeese is who he is at this point. He's not going to suddenly transform himself into an all-ACC back. Player, He's yeah. not going to get big, bigger or better at this point in his career. You just has to ha- hope he – can actually stay healthy this year so he can get the most out of the ability that he does have. Um, you've really got to try to bring along Kashawn King as quickly as possible because he's the most talented of those backs. Um, but for the most part, you know, your personnel isn't going to change running back. It's just not, it's not going to. So you've, you've got to get more uh, stability on your offensive line and, and keep bringing those young players along because if the offensive line can get better, yes, the running game will get better. Um, but I, yeah, the personnel—it's just not going to change at running back at this point. I, I don't—I don't see how it could. Yeah, I think there's an opportunity for the offensive line to get a lot better if they—if they don't get dinged up because it's young guys, they're getting a chance to watch film of themselves in a college game, and uh, you know, I, I just think it's a chance for—I think throughout the season they'll start to gel as they consistently play a position, hopefully with the mm-hmm. same guys next to them, see themselves on film. This—this this could. Uh, you know, maybe this sounds like wishful thinking, but they, this could rapidly progress. So yep. that part of the game can get better. And the thing is, you know, like Nestor did a pretty good job for, for a freshman, yeah. real good job for a freshman on Saturday. Tanuta graded out better than I think any offensive lineman maybe, uh, or, or except for Darisol. But he graded out over a 70. He had a, he had a good game, he had a solid game for anybody, but a really good game for a freshman. Now the problem is – it's it's okay to have a freshman in there who has a really good game for a freshman if he's surrounded by juniors and seniors, but if you've got four, three to three, four or five guys out there that are having oh he had a really good game for a freshman, then that's not and a good game. And you're talking about most of your offensive line, right? Right? Yeah. I mean that's that that's that's not a good game. Uh, you're going to have multiple breakdowns up front from a mental standpoint. And there, there was a change when Tenuta and Nestor came. That was the second half, correct? There was a change made on the offensive line? Uh, Nestor started the game at right guard. Yes. Uh, Hudson came into the game at center for the second half. Tenuta came into the game in the, around the fourth quarter. It, it was um, – I think it was actually early third. Was it early third? I remember okay. we were watching that film the other day, and uh, Silas Janzi was, was downfield on a, on a screenplay or, or a pass out to the flat, and he got knocked down, and he got up, and he looked rough. He looked like something was wrong, and two plays later he came out. It, it, no, 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 the play I'm talking about was actually late second quarter. They put him back in in the third quarter. He played a few plays, didn't look good, and out he okay. came, and that's when Tenuta came in for the rest of the half. And, and people on the board said that Tenuta wore number uh, 95 in the first half, and then when he came in in the second half on – uh, as a tackle, he was wearing 69. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and one thing I want to kind of close this discussion on the offensive line, I remember back to our first podcast, I think it's worth mentioning again to our listeners about how the offensive line is just such a bright spot moving forward for this program. And I remember what Chris was saying beginning of the year. By 2020 and 2021, by classification, that offensive line is going to be upperclassman heavy, correct? 
Uh, by 2021, it will. By 2021, you'll have juniors and seniors. Yeah, yeah, yeah you'll yeah. have juniors and seniors in there. Um, next year, you'll have juniors and sophomores, mm-hmm. which is better than sophomores and freshmen. Right. Um, but 2021 is right now is looking like peak OL year. And it's one area where they've recruited really well. Right. Uh, you know, some of it is evaluation. Some of it is just landing highly rated guys. There's, mm-hmm. there's a combination of both things going on. So there's a lot of potential there. You're listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm. We've got Malcolm Stewart producing, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, I'm Evan Hughes on set. Uh, sticking with the offensive side, and then we'll get to Furman. You know, one of the, the, the big questions a lot of Tech fans have had and they really want to talk about is Damon Hazleton and not seeing him the first two weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, CC, can you give us any update if you have one on when he might play and uh. when he does play? How does he change what's already a strength of this team in the receiving core? You know, it is a, it is a strength of the team, but at the same time, you, you look out there at Virginia Tech's three starting receivers right now. Uh, the outside receivers, a redshirt freshman and a true sophomore, and the slot receiver, a true freshman. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's not 100% for certain that those guys are out there running the, right, the correct route every single time, right? right? I mean, that is a young group. Um, just as young as the offensive line when you think about it like that. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, and a true freshman. But, well, honestly, man. the whole offense is young except for Ryan Willis, to be quite honest with you. So yeah. that, that, that's, a, that's an accurate statement. Um, but I, th- I think Hazleton, we had heard throughout the month of August that all the wide receivers were banged up, basically, and were missing very – time at various points i mean we've i mean trey turner's not 100 percent either you saw him come up with his hamstring against boston college and that's what we heard during august is a lot of them were having hamstring difficulties for whatever reason i, I don't know why uh, apparently grimsley only played nine plays i haven't gone back to confirm that but somebody said he only played nine plays against odu and uh hmm. that would probably be why um yeah. they've all been banged up at various points uh i don't know when hazelton will come back you're at the point now where you want to you want him to shake off the rust before Duke and Miami, right? But, but, but you don't want to play. You don't you don't want to be able to go back and say, God, he re-injured himself against Furman. Right. Are you kidding me? Right. Right. So 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 which is more important? Does he need to shake off the rust, or you, do you, you need to make sure he's a hundred percent? I remember uh, there, there's a bye week coming after there, Furman. Right? Correct. There is a bye week coming after Furman. So I don't know what you do there. Just. Just knowing what happened with Ricky Walker last year and what happened with, with J.C. Coleman in 2013. Hazleton's a redshirt junior. Yeah, I, I would like for him to get it, be able to get out there and shake out the rust, but I'd like for him to be healthy all season too. Right. You know? So Fuente talked about him, and, and Fuente said uh, yesterday that or the day before that he thought Hazleton was ready to go against ODU. He said he told him, he said, you know, he, he looked great like Sunday the day the after the week. BC game yeah he, he said and, and he told him he said you're gonna have a great week I feel really good about this mm-hmm. and then he just and Fuente of course didn't get specific because he didn't get specific about uh, injuries and health issues he said he just uh, he uh, back not backtracked isn't the right word he just you know things went backwards for him is from a health standpoint yeah Tuesday didn't look anywhere near as good yeah and I and I I thought, and Chris, maybe you can remember this because uh, it was preseason and you were going to the press events then, 
Didn't Fuente kind of make a comment at some point about, uh, I can't seem to get my wide receivers out there to practice? I don't know, but if he did, that was accurate. And yeah. I think I think that led to fans thinking, oh, what's going on there? Guys uh, sitting out, you know, when they shouldn't be. No, it, it doesn't appear that that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's part of the point Fuente was getting across was was know that Hazleton was ready to go, and he thought he was ready to go. Well, one thing about Hazleton, of course, he's got that great connection with Ryan Willis. I think that's been put on display. They both had to sit out their transfer year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, They're roommates. Yep. So it, certainly for Willis, getting a guy that he's comfortable back at some point, whenever he does come back, that, that does seem like that will benefit the offense when that time comes. Yeah, I mean, your most experienced veteran wide receiver out there, really, if you think about it. And, uh, so you would take out Caleb Smith. And Caleb's done a good job. Um, He's done a good job for Tech. As a, as a redshirt freshman, he's done a good job. Think about this. He's in his second year in the program. And what does he have, six catches and a touchdown through the Something first? Something like that, yeah. The first two games in his second year in the program. Uh, or his first year on the field, redshirt freshman. I mean, you remember when Eric Kuma, early in his career, remember he had to play as a true freshman because Tech had zero depth. And he didn't catch a single pass his freshman year. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And then uh, – I think it took him like two or three weeks, his true sophomore year, before he caught one. Um, so it's he's off to a good start for his career, Caleb Smith. I'm not saying that he's not. Yeah, the wide receiver position is just not one we worry about. No, you don't worry about it, but but at the same time, Hazleton would help out, in my opinion, yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I think things would go, would be going better with Hazleton because I do think I'm – I haven't gone back and look at those guys specifically because the wide receivers on the whole have been productive, so you're not nitpicking them, right? But I'm sure if you go and look at the film, you can see some mistakes. And I'm not talking about physical mistakes, Tavian Robinson dropping that wide open pass. I'm talking about, you know, full-fledged mental errors. You don't recognize his coverage, so you you run the wrong route, things like that. And that's hard for fans to see. You don't really know what the assignment is and what the read is supposed Mm -hmm. to be. And you see those pass plays where the quarterback chucks a ball and there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody made the wrong read. Was it the quarterback or the wide receiver? You don't know. So that kind of stuff, that that's subtle and that's hard to pick up. Yeah. I think uh, to close out with the receivers, you know, about Caleb Smith, you know, I think he was the, the guy flying under the radar Absolutely. when we talked. And, and he has been one of the – the He's, bright spots of, yes. you know, of course, Tavion Robinson, rightfully so, getting a yeah. lot of the love coming out of camp. He's a friend, but I mean, Caleb Smith right there in terms of receptions and numbers at this point. Yeah. So with the, and we talked about it on the podcast, not going to go too far back, but you know, Phil Patterson steps up this week. seems like it's a new guy in that receiving core each and, and every Caleb week. Smith would have another touchdown if he wasn't interfered with. <laughs> um, quickly, I want to talk about this. interference, and then uh, we can we can move on to Furman. You know, I was looking at the numbers for the, for the tight ends in the first two weeks. Combination of All tight ends. Catches. Well, there have been a total of seven, seven? receptions really? in two games. Six from the Boston College game. Right. Only one from this past week was uh, was James Mitchell. Yeah. So I ask you guys this because we talked a lot about how this tight end room is very complete. But then, Will, I remember you brought up a good point as well that I think you were talking about Jeff King or something. He only caught 20 or 22 passes. and Maybe 25. So seven ca- receptions through two games for the tight ends. Is that something you wish to see a, a, a greater role for those three, or do you think they're being used uh, I, a, a solid amount? Well, you want, you want, whenever you throw it to the tight end, you want it to be – you want it to go for a first down, really, I think. Uh BC really keyed on Dalton King, both the running game and the passing game. Where they, where they were throwing him those passes out in the flats, BC was all over it. Um, Mitchell's catches have all been big plays. 
Keen's catches, I guess he had four. Against Boston College. Yeah, all against BC Boston College, and they were, they were pretty much all short. They were all. Yeah, I don't, I, don't rem- I don't See, I'd forgotten about them. Right. When, I, when I said three catches, I was remembering all of James Mitchell's and none of Keen's because they were so short and, right. you know, you forget about Mitchell's caught so a touchdown. Right. Uh, you know, there's only so many plays in a football game, and I, I know our fans are always like, well, we need to throw it to the tight end more. Every time you throw it to the tight end, that's a play you're not throwing it to Tavian Robinson. Right, or you're not handing it off to Kashawn King or, or, or something or like Deshaun that. McLeese. You know, so there's only so many plays in a game. Sure, uh, Fuente's best tight end, H back type at Memphis, never caught more than 25 passes or so, and he played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's, it's just uh, one of those deals where where you, like you like you said, you want it to be a big play, tight end down the middle, the play action that draws up the safety and the tight end goes down mm-hmm. the middle untouched. Those those RPOs. That they used to run to the, the, when Sam Sam Rogers Sam Rogers was the H back, um, you know Chris Cunningham who is now at ODU. What did he catch five touchdowns one year? Yeah, like seven total passes. That, or that, something that, for five that was like twenty sixteen yeah. or twenty seventeen, yeah. where when Chris Cunningham was open, he was open for a touchdown. Sam right? Rogers threw one to him against Miami. Yeah, you're right. And you remember, uh, you know, old school Tech fans will remember Brian Jennings from the mid nineties. Yeah. Really, really good football player. Never caught more than, what, like 17 passes in a year. But back then, every time Virginia Tech threw the ball at tight end, it would go for 20 yards. Oh, man, one of Michael Michael Vick's second year when they had Slowakowski and who was the other one? Uh, Browning Wynn. Browning oh, Wynn. Gosh. Those guys, every time those guys touched the ball, it was, it was a, a first play. down, and it was a yeah. huge play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway. I always wish I was old enough in 1999 to just be able to relate to these conversations instead of just – not so just, yeah, I've so. seen a few highlights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let's do this. Let's uh, let's take a time out here on the Tech Sideline podcast, uh, presented each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm. When we come back, we'll preview Furman and talk about their offense, which Chris has already previewed a little bit, is a unique offense and what kind of challenges that might present to Virginia Tech's defense. Again, you're listening to the Tech Sideline podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Our thanks to Jonathan Fisher and his team at the Fisher Law Firm for being the sponsor of the Tech Sideline podcast. We're back recording on Wednesday, September 11th, previewing Virginia Tech and Furman on Saturday in Lane Stadium. We've got Malcolm Stewart producing, Will Stewart on set, Chris Coleman, and I am Evan Hughes. Furman coming to town this weekend. The Hokies look to make it two in a row at home. I think when fans think of Furman, they know that it's an FCS opponent. Mm-hmm. But this is an FCS team in Furman that's ranked 13th in the nation right now, and they have had two strong weeks of offense. They're 1-1 one one on the year. They beat Charleston Southern 46-13 to in their opener, and then they just lost a thriller to Georgia State. If you like offense, that was the game for you. And Georgia State is, a, is an FBS team. And they beat Tennessee um, in Tennessee for week one, which was the biggest upset of week one. The final score, 48-42. to The Paladins had a lead in that game. Uh, Darren Granger is the name you need to know. He's the current Stats FCS National Freshman of the Week and the reigning SOCON Conference Player of the Week. 16 of 25 through the air, 323 yards, four touchdowns, ran nine times for 53 yards. 
A lot of numbers being thrown out. So I'll open it up to you guys first. When you see this Furman team, what stands out most? Offensively? I, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the running game in general. Um, you know, first of all, because of the lack of production of Virginia Tech's running backs throughout the last few years, as an argument of Tech fans, why don't we just give it to one or two backs and let them get into a rhythm? Furman gives it to six to eight running backs per game, and they still average over 300 rushing yards per game, right? Uh, so generally blocking and running ability has more to do with it than how many carries each guy's get. Uh, I do believe in the rhythm thing to a certain extent, but so, only, so one, only one guy has gotten double-digit carries for, uh, for Furman so far, and they're still dominating on the ground. Well, they actually have you – know, technically they have two guys. So they're sort of leading rusher uh, – I, mean, I meant only one guy has got double-digit carries in an individual in game. game. Okay, yes. so they're leading rusher Devin Wynn, 25 rushes for 214 yards, mm-hmm. 8.6 yards a carry. And their second leading rusher is uh, number 21, Wayne Anderson. And he's got 10 rushes for 111 yards, 11.1 yards right. per carry. So their leading rushers average 8.6 and 11.1. Before but as Chris we, be- said, they spread it around. Before we get into Granger, uh, Wayne Anderson's a guy who had armies from uh, – armies. Armies. He had offers from Army, <laughs> uh, like the military <laughs> schools, like Army, Navy, Air right. Force, teams like that. The option schools. Right. Their head coach is an Army – or excuse me, came from Air Force. Correct. Um, so they brought in option elements, and then he said, you know what – Maybe I'll get a guy who's being recruited by military schools to be one of my running backs. The guy was listed as a cornerback on 247. He's going to be an option running back, apparently, at the college level. So that, that, that's a good fit for him. He's a guy who could be playing for Army right now, who's a pretty good team, obviously. Nearly just beat Michigan. And, right, exactly, and is now playing for Furman instead. Um, now, as far as Granger goes himself, that's just – there's so few guys who slip through the cracks these days. And he's a guy that his first three years of high school, he played uh, wide receiver. His junior year of high school, he was in a car accident. And then his senior year, once he finally, once he recovered from that car accident, they moved him to quarterback. So there was really no film. Nobody realized that he was a college quarterback prospect until mid to late November and signing days like two or three weeks later. Wow. You know? Uh, and at that point, everybody's got to commit from their quarterback for, for the class for the most part. So – these days, like, you can't afford to wait to, for your senior year to have a big year, right? Or else you're not gonna ha- you're not gonna have an, an FBS offer, and th- and that's kind of what happened to Granger. He's good enough to play at the FBS level, in my opinion. Still extremely raw, but very athletic. And he's skinny. He's six four, one ninety. Yeah, he's, he's so. a skinny kid. So that that was that was part of it. One um, thing Coach Fuente said this week is that watching the tape, he runs the offense and is basically so comfortable. He looks like he could be a junior or senior on tape. Fuente was highly complimentary of him, and it didn't sound like coach speak to me. It didn't sound like canned stuff. The words he used, I didn't actually watch the film of Fuente talking about him, but the words he used were were truly complimentary words, not coach speak. You know, the old Frank Beamer, oh, he'll get after you. You know, it wasn't that. (laughs) Yeah, Fuente went into some detail about him. Yeah, he did. Uh, you You can tell when Fuente really likes someone. Yeah. Um, I think Granger's one of those guys, and I'm sure Furman fans will not want to hear this, but at some point he's going to be a transfer portal candidate. Uh, he's probably too good for that level. This was the number this week against Georgia State. Again, an FCS team going up against an FBS team. Nearly knocked off Georgia State, who beat Tennessee. Furman put up 526 yards in total offense, mm-hmm. and the Paladins' 42-point outing. 
tied the school record for most points scored against an FBS opponent since Furman reclassed to FCS in 1982. So mm-hmm. that's how good this offense has been in the last two weeks. Granted, Charleston right. Southern Georgia State, but right. they have some momentum coming. Oh, they have some momentum. Um, they've got some experience on the offensive line. Uh, they're a well-put-together football team, and their quarterback obviously knows how to run their offense. Uh, that being said, you know, they've got two games of film now. Right. Georgia State, they beat Tennessee, but Tennessee is awful. Georgia State went 2-10 and ten last year. Hokey fans uh, smile everywhere hearing you say that. Would you like to say that again? Tennessee stinks. Can we can we play the Battle of Bristol again? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, that was a, uh, three years ago yesterday, by the way. Yeah. September wow. 10th. Yeah. Wow. Um, Georgia State, you know, last year they went 2-10. and 1-7 and seven in the Sun Belt. They, they beat Tennessee, but Tennessee's 0-2 with two home losses, right? Mm. They're, they're not a good football team. They're a horrible football team, to be quite honest with you. They, they might not win an SEC game. It's funny you look at them and and you know they pass the eye test. They got the they right, got the right, athletes, but right. man, they're not. And I don't know I don't know anything about how their roster's set up or anything like yeah. that. Uh, I, I know that that athletic department is a mess now with you, Phil Fulmer, mm. taking over, mm. basically. Yeah, uh, I don't know anything. Just, about I mean, it's like he staged a coup. Yeah. Really, Gosh. I, I mean. <laughs> It's ridiculous. If you say so. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So one thing about Furman, too, Will, so they'll run a little bit of triple, and then they'll mm-hmm. spread you out. It's a unique offense. When you when Hokie fans hear triple option, of course, they're going to think about Georgia Tech the last Yeah, you're, you're not going to see a Georgia Tech rerun here. Granger has 45 passing attempts in two games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, they're, they have some triple option elements to their offense, but they're not going to line up every single play and run triple option. We don't even know what their blocking scheme is. It's not necessarily the triple option that everybody hated. It was how Georgia Tech blocked with the triple option. Yeah, are they going to be diving at your legs Correct. like Georgia right. Tech did? Yeah, they, I do they play more straight up? I, I don't know. Um, so, I, I don't and I don't think – I don't really – I'm guessing they don't do a lot of diving at your legs because how many techniques can you really teach as an offensive line coach? Right. Um, so, I, I don't – it's not It's not as scary – is Georgia Tech. What's scary is that they're so multiple. You you have to teach the defense how to defend so many different things. And when you have so many young players, I mean, you know, Dax did not have a good game last week. Uh, half the time he just didn't look like he knew where he knew where to go. And that was against a more simple offense. And and we you so, know and and part of this is commentary from film analysis, and part of it is looking up the grades on Pro Football Focus and right. seeing that that Dax graded out very poorly against the Rock. Right, and it's just and some of those true freshman defensive tackles and redshirt freshman ends or whatever guys who have done overall a good job so far, they're going to get more thrown at them this week as far as. Uh, as far as movements and alignments and things like that. It doesn't matter as much for, like, a defensive tackle. Like, there's your gap. Go occupy it, right? Go get through it. But for defensive ends and linebackers and safeties, it's a lot more difficult. Now, one thing that also Coach Fuente has talked about this week is that Clay Hendricks, the coach of Furman, who – if you look at his history, he's he's done a pretty good job of building this program. Up. He's, he's a Furman second grad. Year. He's a second-year coach, right? Yep. And, he was at Air Force before then. And so when Fuente was the offense coordinator at TCU, they had a couple of games scheduled against Air Force, so he's familiar with him and his uh, strategies of offense, so to speak. Yeah, but, Fuente talked about the TCU coaches complaining about how hard it was to, <laughs> yeah, to, to, the, to defend the, the Air TC, Force. The TCU defensive coaches complaining how hard it was to defend Air Force. Mm-hmm. So, Will, I'll ask you this and I'll ask Chris this. You know, we, we 
Old Dominion came in last week, just escaping by Norfolk State. Mm-hmm. Had a young quarterback in Stone Smart who was unproven. If you're Tech's defense, honestly, right now, what offense scares you more, ODU or Furman? Furman. Um, Furman. They've got a more dynamic quarterback. Uh, they show more as far as offense. I think they make you think more. If you're a defensive player, you have to remember more stuff going into that game. And and we talked about it. I don't know if we. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or you know, it was a Friday Q and A question. Somebody asked. Knowing what you know about Tech's weaknesses, what's the proper way to attack Virginia Tech on, you know, on both sides of the ball? And I said, you will, to attack their defense, you put a lot of men in motion, uh, some option-style plays, everything like that. Everything, anything you can do to you know, slow down their thinking, the yeah. thinking of the Virginia Tech defenders, because they can't process a lot quickly right now because they're so young. So if you force them to have to process even more, uh, then you can really attack them, and this is the type of offense that can do that. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, tell me if you agree with this. You look at the Boston College game; you pretty much know what you're going to get from Boston College. Yeah, and, and I'm sure, you know, a trained eye can look at it and say, you know, I'm sure they do some things with pulling linemen to mess with your key reads and things like that. But in general, but overall, you, you, in general, if you're a linebacker against Boston College and you guess run, you're probably going to be right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, uh, just but, but against this offense, and, and that's probably true to some extent to Old Dominion. Like Old Dominion, some of their success offensively was missed tackles by Virginia right. Tech, and that, and particularly missed tackles against the quarterback, and then he goes for or miss miss alignments, missing gaps, and he goes for ten or fifteen yards. It's not a scheme thing; it's an execution thing. Uh, yeah. So this, you know, to to cut to the chase, I'm going to pick Virginia Tech to win, but uh, this is this is not going to be a three or four touchdown victory. I wouldn't think. I think it will because I think really? the defense is hmm. just awful. Oh, well, so, so let's go yeah. ahead and do it. Let's. Uh, we had the. I had the coming Is up. that next? Uh, <laughs> let, let's do, let's do some predictions. Virginia Tech and Furman, both teams one and one. Noon kick Saturday in Lane Stadium. We'll start with the head honcho, Will Stewart. Final score. So, Virginia Tech has only broken 40 once since last year's William and Mary game, and that was 41 against Marshall. And uh, to go on a little bit of a tangent, that Marshall game, I received some intel that the players for Marshall were not happy they had to play that game. Mm -hmm. And uh, we put that in our game preview. I said, got criticized for it. Yeah, you know, I said, okay, so we've gotten word through the grapevine that Marshall's kind of ticked that they got to travel to Virginia Tech to play this extra game. And Marshall played like it. And uh, and Tech went out and scored 41 points on them. Uh, the Hokies, as I've said many times, this is not an ACC game, but they've only cracked 30 points in ACC play, three in the last 17 ACC games. So Virginia Tech is not – it's just not putting a lot of points on the board. And – I, pr- I predicted that they'd score 48 on Old Dominion. I'm not doing that anymore. I am not doing that kind of thing anymore. So I'm going with 35-24, uh, Virginia Tech. Goodness. Yeah, I'm picking. I'm picking. I'm picking. Uh, okay. Well, Furman the, to score. Now you said this is the f- besides the Marshall game. It's the first time since William and Mary. William and Mary. Yeah. And it's also easily the worst defense we faced since that William and Mary game. Not, I mean, this dude, I'm not is, buying into this it. This defense is bad. I told you. I, I said <laughs> this, on the podcast. This is literally podcast, Trey Turner versus me. I said in there. the last podcast. <laughs> and and I, I, I wrote in my Monday thoughts, I am lowering my expectations. 
I agree with him. I am the, not going to sit there you? and say 40 plus. I, I, I agree with him on the 24. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris. I, I, I agree with him. I Come on, Chris was a pretty good corner in high school. I, 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 I agree with him on the 24 for Furman. I agree with him on the – they're going to score. Um, I, I will go We'll go 45 to 24. So you guys agree on the point? <laughs> People watching the video are seeing me going, eh. But here's the thing. Here's the problem. We both think Furman's going to score 24 on Virginia Tech's defense. Uh-huh. That, that's, a, that's a problem. Mm. That, that's, well, that's where they are right now. So what, so I've, the, I've accepted that. Right, right. So defensively, you know, the, the, from game one to game two, it felt like the unit that took the most steps forward was the defensive line. Is that the group you're looking for against this Furman offense yeah. that needs to have that kind of game to slow them down? I, I, yeah. Um, if you can get penetration and throw off the timing – you know, if, if the linebackers or safeties make bad reads or get out of the position, they can have time to recover and, and things like that. Uh, I, I worry about I worry about Reggie Floyd, I worry about Belmar, and I worry about Dax. Those are the three guys I worry about. Right. So you wonder against. if you're gonna see. Well, you know you're gonna see Reggie. You right. wonder well, if you you're know, gonna. Yeah. You wonder if you're gonna see Jalen Griffin instead of Belmar. Uh, yeah, and if you're gonna see both, to be honest with you. And, and, um, and, but but. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Griffin's a better player, in my opinion. Uh, well, and the grades prove that out, right? Um, you, you looked him up. But at the same time, he's just as likely to make a mental mistake because he's only played that position for a month. You know, I, I Dax is making a lot of mental mistakes. So, yeah, I'd like to give Tisdale a shot there at backer. I'll say it. But Tisdale's a redshirt freshman, so you throw him in there against an offense like this. It's not like he's not going to make his mistakes. You know, there's just not not that many good options here for Virginia Tech. <laughs> I mean, you, you just can't – it's not a magic potion that Bud can just pull out there and right. say, hey, you get out there, this will work. I mean, he just doesn't have the personnel that he used to have. So there you go. They both have Furman scoring 24. Will has Tech scoring – I'm already forgetting. Your, uh, 31? 30, 30, 35. 35. 35. How, 35 how do you get to 35? How do you score seven 35 touchdowns. points? Okay, yeah. thank you. I'm sorry. Duh. <laughs> seven touchdowns. Five times five. Touchdowns. I know that math. I'm just, uh, both, your math is both. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what kind of idiot? Who's and I'm, I'm the one here who can't do math. <laughs> I've, I've been covering college football for well over 20 years, watching it since I was like 17, and I, I actually just said, how do you get to 35 points? <laughs> Why are you people listening to this? It's early in the morning. It's okay. We'll get, um, let's do this. I thought this would be fun, too. Uh, we were talking about before we went on the air. Uh, this day in Tech football history tomorrow on Thursday, September 12th is the four-year anniversary of the last time Tech and Furman played. So I thought it would be fun to kind of go through the box score and re maybe reminisce on some of the players that uh, impacted that game. Just as long as so we that, don't talk about the 2008 Furman game. I really hated that game. Uh, so that, that was, was 2015. Cool. That was Frank's last year. Yeah, that was. Uh, I guess that was the day after the – not the day after, the week after the Ohio State game where Brewer got knocked out. So Brendan Correct. Motley. So Brendan Motley was yep. the quarterback yep. for Tech. All right. So I'll ask you this: uh, as we see him right yeah. there celebrating, well, after he handed the ball off to Trey Edmonds. Right. For actually. those on the podcast, yeah. we've got a, the the TV up above Chris's head, and it's yeah. Uh, yeah so that, there's a couple of players that play. First man, of all, Virginia so is that Ryan Mallet getting a good block on that number forty six? Man, that that dude's about to be pancaked. It's probably Ryan Malik. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, that looks more looks like more like an offensive lineman. Not sure. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That plays right up the middle. That's probably Conti. 
So Virginia Tech won that game by a final score of 42-3. to uh-huh. Brendan Motley, 16 of 24 through the air, 233 yards, two touchdowns, along a 46, and he did not get sacked the entire game. And Dwayne Lawson saw action that game, 3 of 7, 51 yards, and along of 31 yards. And he he ran for a touchdown, right? Let's see, rushing, he did. Yeah. Great call. So uh, Trayvon McMillan. Six attempts, 98 yards, a Oof. long of 63. Dwayne Lawson, nine attempts, 51 yards, and a touchdown. Um, Trey Edmonds ran the ball nine times that game for 41 yards. Brendan Motley, Chris Durkin, Shai McKenzie, J.C. Coleman, and Isaiah Ford all had touches running the football. Chris Durkin. Did Chris Durkin score a touchdown? He did not. Four did attempts, not. 25 yards. Okay. What, did he play quarterback? Yeah. Had to, Wow, Chris Durkin. And then he transferred to Youngstown State to play tight end which shows you how good our quarterback recruiting was there for a while. Uh, Receiving the ball, Cam Phillips, five receptions, 86 yards. Isaiah Ford, five receptions, 77 yards, two touchdowns. Bucky Hodges caught two passes, 48 yards. And then here are a couple. uh, (laughs) I I did not realize we uh, Virginia Tech had a football player named Calvin Klein. Yes. uh, Who had a a reception for 31 yards. He was a good player. He came in in 2013 as a true freshman. And started at tight end, despite the fact that he had only played one year of football his entire life. Yeah. That's how depleted Virginia Tech was at tight end. They didn't have any. So Loeffler goes out and finds this guy from Florida who had only played one year of football his entire life. Played well as a true freshman, caught 25 or 30 passes. Then he hurt his knee in the bowl game, right? I, I don't, was, or was that later? It, he got hurt somewhere, and I don't know the exact injury, but I remember seeing him one time with a leg cast all the way from his hip to his foot. Wow. It was some kind of foot leg knee i don't know exactly lower what it was. extremity injury yeah exactly uh but he was a military guy he was also in the corps of cadets and he and transferred to texas a&m yep where exactly he right. caught one or two passes he didn't have much of a career yep a couple of other players caught passes of course mcmillan ryan malik as we mentioned kevin asante uh, and i think that was his only catch of the year uh, one reception, 13 yards, and then Dimitri Knowles caught a pass. Also his only catch of the year. Wow, Knowles was still around in 2015. Yeah, those were our two years. backup receivers, yeah. and they literally, that was the only passes they called all year was in the Furman game. Oh. That, 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 was, that was our That's receiver That's what happens depth. when you ran 42-3. to uh, three. Chuck Clark was the leading tackler for Tech with 13 tackles, followed by Deion Clark, Ronnie Van Dyke, and Derwan wow. Green. Darion. Darion. So, uh, Wow. Those All those were, names from the past. Yep, mm-hmm. thought that would be fun to do. AJ Hughes had a couple of punts, and then uh, Stroman, Asante, Alexander all had a couple of returns uh, in the punting game. So that day in Tech history, four years ago, tomorrow, and now of course the Hokies and the Paladins uh, will do battle on Saturday in Lane Stadium. Which, by the way, I know you know, but Chris, do you know what a Paladin is? It's a sh- chivalric knight. Chivalrous knight. A yes. chivalrous knight, or one of the knights of. Uh, Charlemagne's court, I believe, is, is another definition for it. They were this is different from the knights who say knee. That is very different than the knights who say knee. There you go. <laughs> Let's turn it over to our fantastic producer, Malcolm. Yes, he's related Stuart behind the scenes producing our podcast today. What's going on on Facebook, Malcolm? Uh, what, what comments do we have? All right, so the question is, what are your thoughts on the 2020 recruiting class after seeing the composite chart? So, oh, it's not good. <laughs> so um, so let, let's give some background here. Uh-huh. Uh, so OxVT on Twitter produces a chart where he ranks all of the committed recruits in the ACC by their 247 composite ranking. 
and he color codes them. So you can look at this chart and see at a glance where everybody's recruits are ranked within the conference. There are, he produced a chart yesterday, there are 117 committed recruits in the ACC right now. And Virginia Tech's highest ranked recruit out of those 117 is 55th. And the second highest ranked I think is 57th and he probably won't qualify. And, and Tech, Tech, so Tech only has, out of this group of 117 ACC recruits, they only have two in the top half, and they're barely in the top half. Now, last year's chart, to be fair, last year's chart was really good. Virginia yes, Tech had the, had the second highest uh, average composite ranking. Uh, if, so if you look at the seven teams in the Coastal, in terms of average player ranking right now, Virginia Tech is dead last. So there's all this discussion about, oh, it's a small class. It's not about the size of the class. It's about the, the ranking of the recruits that are in mm -hmm. that class. Yeah, you're, you can sign 12 guys, and if you sign 12 five-stars, it's a great class. It's, it's a history-making <laughs> class, actually. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> um, if you sign 12 two-star guys, it's an awful class. It's got nothing to do with the size of the class. It's got to do with, you know, where – how are these individual players ranked? Here comes the caveat. Yes, it's not all about recruiting service rankings. But on the aggregate, if you look at recruiting rankings over a number of years, everybody always gets into this argument. Well, so-and-so was a four-star recruit, and he never played. You're talking about one guy. Those kind of, of misevaluations occur all the time. When you're talking about large numbers of recruits, typically if you have a – poorly rated recruiting class uh, on the aggregate 15 or 20 guys then it winds up being an unproductive class you might have one or two guys or three guys from that class who wind up being big contributors but you know on, on again when you're talking on the aggregate it's not good for your entire recruiting class to be ranked in the bottom half of the ACC let's just cut to the chase all right um I completely understand why the defensive class isn't good. Yes. Um, it, I wouldn't expect it to be good. I mean, those guys don't know who their coach is going to be next year. And, and we had a Bud Foster contract issue even before he announced his retirement. Correct. That so was that, that, was, that was hurting recruiting across the board for at least the past year. And, for and, Tech and for people who don't read our stuff and don't listen to us a lot, we know this for a fact. For example, that Penn State's coaches were sitting in their meeting rooms saying – Make sure if you're recruiting a kid who's also being recruited by Virginia Tech to point out that Bud Foster doesn't have a contract. Those conversations occurred at other schools. They were occurring months and months ago. Yes. You know, so uh, this has been coming for a long time. I think fans are just now seeing it, but it, the, it, this has been in the making for a while. It's not a surprise. Defensively. Defen defensively. I'm a little disappointed in offensive recruiting um, because it's been, you know, so strong the past few years. Um, now, I, d I do know that what they've done, their counter to this is the players they're taking, they look at them and they say, okay, he's not highly rated, but they're trying to take the highest ceiling guys. That they can that, develop. That, that, that they can develop. Because right. they feel like they have um, enough guys right now correct. that are productive. And, and they think they can redshirt all these guys. Yes. Which I've always been in favor of. I wish they were redshirting everybody now. I, I mean, I, I think sometimes I think that ball streak is an albatross. It, it – you don't redshirt certain guys because you're trying to make sure you keep the ball streak alive. And, and then, by gosh, Stephen Peoples is gone, and you don't have any tailbacks left, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that ball streak sometimes is an albatross. Uh, but next year, 
I think they're going to be able to redshirt that whole class. So from that standpoint, it's good. So, yeah, they, they understand that they're having issues with recruiting this year. And so to counter, you know, they're, they're just not going and taking some random dude from southwest Virginia like Tech used to do when they uh, knew they were having going to have a rough year recruiting. They're going out and trying to find guys who – might not be highly ranked right now, but they feel like they have a high ceiling, like like the kid from uh, the 757. Oh, gosh, I forget his name. What uh, position? I believe he'll probably play safety. Um, oh, uh, Rudolph? But, yeah. Rudolph. You know, Rudolph was in a car accident, so d- yeah. didn't play last year, so or played very little last year, and so there's just not a lot of information out there on him. But he's an excellent athlete, and they feel like that he can be a great player, but – that accident set him back and everything like that. But but at the same time, who knows, man? You don't even know what defensive system Virginia Tech's going to be running next year. How many of these guys are going to be fits for it? How many guys in the program right now are going to be fits gonna for be it? Fits. I sit here say, and say, you know, Dax Holyfield should be playing Mike. I don't know. What's that position going to be for Virginia Tech next year? Is yeah. it, it going to be exactly like it is this year? I mean, we, we don't know. So it's just so, – So another guy is Noah Kim, the quarterback out of Westfield. Is right, that right. right. Yeah. I think Kim is really good. Uh, I'm, I'm actually in the process of doing research on uh, quarterbacks right now and uh, NFL quarterbacks specifically. Um, yes, there, there, there are NFL quarterbacks who were highly touted out of high school, like, you know, Deshaun Watson. Was a big time recruit. Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor was a big time recruit, but Baker Mayfield was a walk on, right? Uh, Patrick Mahomes went to Texas Tech. He wasn't highly touted. Russell Ru- Wilson. Russell Wilson, exactly, uh, was twenty fifth in the state or thereabouts. Uh, Tom Brady didn't start in high school until he was a junior. Drew Brees' two offers were Purdue and Kentucky. Andy be, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard. Aaron Rodgers, nobody wanted him because he was the Steph Curry of college of football. He was 5'11", 165 in high school. So he had to go Juco and then had a growth spurt and then became a great NFL quarterback. Point being that a lot of your quarterbacks, it doesn't necessarily matter how highly touted they are. It's can they execute the offense. I mean, Fuente's two best quarterbacks that he's coached, Andy Dalton, Paxton and Paxton Lynch were two star guys with no offers. Right. So, so you look at you look at Noah Kim, and when I first heard of his commitment, I thought six one one seventy. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. And then you go and you look at the film, and now let's not kid ourselves. He doesn't have a cannon, but but the film's pretty good. The kid knows where to go with the ball. He's a playmaker. He's a winner. They've they've won it. Uh, I, I don't know if they've won a state championship. They. No, they uh, they lost. They were, the, they were on their way. They lost in the playoffs to uh, Josh Fuga's high school when Kim broke his Kim leg. Kim broke in his game. leg early in right. the game. Who yeah. knows what would have happened? Well, he, he's thirty-seven and one as a starter and completing over eighty or seventy percent of his passes. So he he is absolutely a developmental guy that you bring in, and you know you talk about Andy Dalton. Was it Andy Dalton we looked up who was six two one eighty in yeah, high school? Very and similar Kim is six one one seven. Drew Brees is six foot two hundred and nine pounds. Right. Uh, Kellen Moore. Cowboys offensive coordinator? Yes, yeah. uh, who lit up Virginia Tech and honestly lit up all of college football when he was at Boise State. Excellent college quarterback. Six foot, 200 pounds, and then played six years in the NFL. And two, He was still playing in the NFL two years ago, and now he's the Cowboys offensive coordinator, yeah. which shows you the guy's a football genius. That's what we need a quarterback, in my opinion, is a football genius. I think a football genius fits better with Fuente 
I mean, Fuente is a deep thinking guy. Yeah. I think he's going to do better with a, a Noah Kim. This type. is a guy he could can really connect. R- right. With. I mean, which is why I think him and Jackson were a good fit together. Jackson's a really smart guy with a great football background, but Josh didn't stick it out. Um, so I don't know. There, there are a lot of a lot of different uh, types of good quarterbacks in, in college these days. Uh, but but you know, Fuente might work best at this level with a more cerebral one. I, I don't consider Paxton Lynch a great cerebral quarterback, but but he didn't have to be because he was just so much better physically than the rest of that conference. Yeah. 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 What so, else, Malcolm? Anything so how else? about that? That yeah. was quite a long answer to a good question. So he's scrolling through it. Don Mason and David Witt want to know if Tisdale is going to be replacing Dax. And my answer to that is tune in Saturday at noon. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I know Bud put a lot into Dax's recruitment. Um, it's, it's a sticky I, I, situation. I don't, right. I don't, I don't think Bud is as active on the recruiting trail as he used to be. And not necessarily – it's not that he's not trying. It's just I don't think he can be. Um, you know, he's had, you know, his health issue. He's had, he's had a lot going on in his personal life or whatever. But I think his last great effort on the recruiting trail was Dax Holyfield. He really worked his tail off for Dax. And I think that's because so, he really connected with I think Dax. I do. I think he really connected with him personally. Um and, and thought he was a, obviously a good prospect, too. Right. So it, it, it's going to be – it would be emotional for Foster if he pulled Dax from the starting lineup and replaced him. So I think Dax has a long leash. That said, it didn't make any sense that Tisdale didn't play against Old Dominion. The guy played 20 20- – And even Bud kind of admitted that he, later, right? He said, he said, I told him and Artis my bad after the game. Mm. Uh, my bad for not putting My bad for, for not getting into the game because – they both played against BC. Uh, Artists only played five snaps, but Tisdale played 22 snaps against BC on the road in a tight game from start to finish. It was 24 to three at one point on Saturday at home against a less talented football team. And Tisdale and he still, still didn't he didn't play a single defensive snap. Right. That just doesn't make a lot of sense. And Dax really struggled. He he especially struggled in the second half later in the game. Yeah. Uh, so it's one of the, one of those things where I, I, w- I would play Tisdale early and often. I, I really would. Uh, I'm not ready to pull Dax out of the starting lineup yet because there's so many other things, like he's a really good leader, he's a good face for the program, he really enjoys being here and everything like that. So that there are other things like team morale. There's more that plays into it, yeah. Yeah, there's more that plays into it. Uh, but ultimately you have to Ultimately produce. you have to produce. And uh, Tisdale had a really good game against uh, Boston College. Uh, for those 22 snaps, uh, better than he's graded graded out and better again, than that. And the grades prove that out. Right, right. Wasn't it zero bad plays against Correct. the run against and Boston 22 percent positive run impact percentage. Right. So that's uh, pretty darn good. Yeah, uh, for your first outing. Now, again, that's one team, and you kind of know what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, this is a totally different animal here on Saturday, but I've seen enough from Dax at this point, to say, okay, if that backup did play well in his limited time, you know, maybe I'm giving that guy more of a shot. Well, I, I think you need to accumulate some film on Alan Tisdale. Right. And, and, and then you need to sit down and look at the film and, and talk to the guys in the linebacker meeting room. And to, and to be fair to Dax, I'd I, I, I hate, hate talking this way about Dax because everybody really likes him. To be fair to him, he was recruited here as a Mike. 
he came here last year, started practicing at Mike, and then a week or two into practice, they're like, oh, we probably need a different backer. So we're now we're going to move him to backer as a true freshman when he's in, been preparing to play Mike. And even this fall, they're trying to determine their depth at both spots. They were getting him a few reps at, at, at Mike. So he's, he's a true sophomore who's had to play both linebacker positions in practice. They recruited him as a Mike. He's not a natural backer. They're just playing him there because last year they didn't have a better option. But they might have a better option now. They might. So one of, one we'll of the, Now, I'm not saying this is my scenario, but one of the more interesting scenarios I've heard floated is um, they play Tisdale, they see how he does, um, and they decide to actually redshirt Dex mm-hmm. and move him to Mike mm-hmm. and get separation between mm-hmm. him and Ashby. Yep. And uh, I would, I, I interesting. Would, if that worked you reshape out, his body if, as a Mike because it's been reshaped as a backer right. already. And it, but it's still not, still not a backer body, per, per se. He, he's 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 not to have that long, lengthy, athletic right. feel to him uh, like all of Tech's successful. The only backer Tech has Tech has had that has the same, the only good backer Tech has had that had the same build as Dax was uh, Bruce Taylor. And he was a guy that moved back and forth from Mike and backer throughout his career. He was the only guy Dax's size that could effectively play the backer spot. Every, mm-hmm. Everybody else was a longer, lengthier guy that, that runs sideline to sideline. That would be interesting. Of course, that's the new redshirt rule, that you can redshirt after play playing four in games. four games. Yeah. That, that would be ideal, I think. If, if Tisdale did show that he was good enough to handle the position. Uh, but here's, here's the thing. You don't know who the defensive coordinator is going to be next that's year. That's correct. And how do you make these decisions? These are future decisions. How do you decisions. make long-term decisions as a defensive coach when you have no long-term future? That, that literally would probably have to come from Fuente. Yes. And I just don't see him doing I, And I don't see him going to Bud and saying, Bud, this is your last year. I'm going to take away your favorite player from you because – I want you to – I want to redshirt your favorite player. Yeah, you know, that's it's a tough thing to do. Hmm. Um. So yeah. we, we probably need to wrap this up. We probably yeah, need to wrap it for a while. Yeah. It's been a great podcast. Yeah. It too, Furman preview. What's a paladin? And some great questions from our – thanks to our Facebook viewers for putting in some great questions as always. And uh, this has been fun. Well, and yeah. thanks to the uh, Fisher Law Firm for sponsoring the podcast. As always, our title sponsor each and every week. Call anytime, day, evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031. Uh, any last thoughts before we uh, sign things off? None whatsoever. I'm happy next week is a bye week. It's a good timing for a bye week. Okay. You have three games of film, get a little healthier, um, and you got so many young players that spend that week really working on yourself, I think, and showing these guys what they've done well, what and they've the, done And the wrong. coaches can sit and look at film and make decisions. Like right. I said, get Tisdale on film and sit down and make a decision right. about the backer, for Te- example. Uh, TechSideline.com, we got a lot coming up this week. I'm sure you're for uh, Friday Q&A. Game oh, preview Friday will be out. Q&A. Uh, game preview coming out later today. Brandon Patterson has a review of the ODU game. Eric Carr is going to have an article. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of stuff. More Jason Stame. Eight forty nine a month, folks. Try it out. Last thing, I did want to bring this up, and I'll be quick. We'll wrap up with this. Uh, if if you're coming into town this weekend, uh, Friday night, maybe one of the biggest men's soccer games in recent memory will take place at Thompson Field. Virginia Tech is number nine in the country. They're four and zero. And they're welcoming North Carolina, who is in the top 20. And uh, Virginia Tech historically has not fared well against North Carolina. Uh, There are so many ACC teams in the top 20. It's really crazy how good the ACC is. But 
Uh, this is going to be a very, very, very big matchup. What time is that? Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock on Friday. Uh, free admission to get in. Uh, it, it, I think you know, Hokies feeling confident about you know going into it. They had Brizendine, the head coach, speak at the uh, media day. Well, I went to a women's uh, soccer game a couple weeks ago, and there was a great crowd. Great yeah, crowd. Uh, a bit bigger crowd for women's soccer than there is like baseball and stuff like that a lot of times yeah women's soccer is in the top 20 it's you know both teams made the ncaa tournament last year i mean it's great to see both having success at the same time yeah so that'll do it for this week's edition of the tech sideline podcast as always thanks so much to the fisher law firm for sponsoring thanks so much to our viewers for watching live and giving us questions and for those listening hope you can join us again on monday we'll be recording in the morning recapping virginia tech and Furman. For Malcolm, yes, he's related to it behind the scenes producing our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and our head honcho, Will Stewart. My name is Evan Hughes saying so long. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back here on Monday right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast.